What's up, guys? Welcome into a Week 12 edition of Chargers Weekly. Taping this on a Friday morning. I hope everyone had a very happy Thanksgiving with family, including you, Matt Money Smith. How was your Thanksgiving, bro? Oh, it was great. You know, it's one of my favorite holidays. Uh, my daughter's in town from college, so it was great to have her home and uh, family together, eating way too much. Oh, yeah. Napping at least three times throughout the day, uh, waking up late to break out the pies. Uh, it was uh, it was an awesome holiday. I hope yours was great, too, Chris. It was, and, and leftovers all weekend until, until we get to Denver, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. No question. Well, hey, the, the Chargers – Improved to six and four against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday Night Football. A little bit later, we'll have Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post to break down this matchup against the Broncos on Sunday. But, Muddy, let's just rewind to that fourth quarter. I remember after the Cleveland game, just asking you what that fourth quarter was like. It was almost mm. the same thing, but in reverse. The, yeah. the Chargers had the lead this time, and they held on. They barely held on, but they did enough to win. Yeah, and it was that same magic number, right? 41 points. Very strange. Combined 41 points, that's what we had in the Browns-Chargers game. That's what we had in the Steelers-Chargers game. And look, the difference is the, the Chargers, look, they had back-to-back -back possessions, right? So Justin Herbert with, I think it was his sixth fourth-quarter comeback uh, to win a game of his career. And then, and we saw this a lot last year, and it did not go the Chargers' way, where Herbert did enough. He should have more than that on his resume, right? How many of those games we saw where he did enough to get a fourth-quarter win and the defense just couldn't hold? This time around, not only did they hold, I mean, they held in emphatic fashion. So that was probably my biggest takeaway is, you know, you take the body blows, the, the Steelers not able to throw that haymaker, and the Chargers on both sides of the ball, you know, and, and – Again, I cannot stress that enough for people that follow this team. I know they know, but you would get it on one side and then it was hard to put it together on the other. And that's how you had so many of those one score losses over the last couple of years. And, and in this one, you know, both sides uh, really flexed their muscles in those final two, two and a half minutes. I think it was the fourth quarter. I'm running around the stadium and I hear you and DJ uh, throughout the speakers. Right. And I, I caught when you said, listen, this team has never really had a blowout game or, you know, even the Raiders game was a little bit close yeah. in that third quarter. And, and here we go again in the fourth. But I look at the, the guys that were down on the defensive line, the way that they they played against the run, kind of forcing Pittsburgh to, you know, and Pittsburgh was down, too. So they had to throw a little bit more. But um, it, it was a gutty performance. Um, you never want it to be that close. And, and I think this team still has time to figure out how to close these games. So we're not having to have wild drama in the fourth quarter but the biggest thing that stuck out to me money and I'm curious your take watching the game Justin Herbert in in his wheels man 90 yards uh, on the ground a career high and I know it was in large parts of Pittsburgh kind of you dictate you know the defense what yeah. they're doing and, and Justin's just so instinctive but my goodness, man, if he runs it a little bit more each week, I just feel like it unlocks a lot of possibilities for this offense, even if it's just a couple of design runs. And listen, I don't want Justin running all over the yard, but if he does it in a manner where he knows how to slide, he knows when to run and, and when to get out of bounds, then I just think it's another dimension to this offense that we haven't really even seen yet. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, Justin gets gets all the credit as he should. He's the one that's got to execute it and he gets himself another player of the week award. Um, but I think you really got to tip your cap to the coaches and the coaching staff because, you know, after the game and 
you know, we talked to Coach Staley and we talked to Tom Telesco on the on the radio show with Petros, and you know, they both said exactly the same thing, which leads me to believe they saw the coverages that that the Steelers have been playing with their two high and their man under, and they told Justin, "You're going to have a lot of opportunities with the the style of defense that they're going to deploy." Not to mention the players that they're without and and who they're down. That the TJ Watt isn't up there wreaking havoc and Minka back there diagnosing you know, what's happening and trying to make plays, take advantage of it. And it's clear he got the message. I, it feels like, you know, over the course of Herbert's career, this short career, this season and a half of, of quarterback and that he's played so far, you know, I can just, for whatever reason, remember DJ saying, hey, by the way, you know, there's a, there's a lane on the left side there. Justin could have probably had a good 20 yards or, hey, there's a, you know, if he would have just tucked it and ran, he probably easily would have got the first down. I think it's something that, that from our spot high in the sky there when we're looking down on the field Daniel Jeremiah has certainly seen it I'd say multiple times in the game and I think this was the one game where I'm guessing they really preached to Justin you know this is an opportunity for for you but more importantly for us for the offense to really take advantage of what we think is a mismatch and look there's a flip side to that right there's the well I'd love to see him do that more but the flip side of that is well, now teams have to prepare for it and they cannot play that coverage, you know, or they can try and then they'll immediately have to adjust if he takes advantage of it again. So the great thing about it is it's not just him doing it in the game. It's him forcing defenses to be cognizant of it, aware that it's not just a small threat, but a serious threat if they don't pay attention to it. And that hurts them. It hurts their practice schedule. It affects what, what they're able to run and maybe take them out of their comfort zone. Yeah, it's a great point. And it's so funny. You and I have harped on, all right, we got to identify this running back too. Who's the second running back? It was Justin Herbert. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. But, but Austin, I mean, the way that Austin is deployed four total touchdowns, two receiving, two rushing, he has really come into his own money. And we, you, we've talked about him countless times since 2017, his rise, everybody knows about um, where he's come from in, in Colorado going home this Sunday, but my goodness, man, when, yeah. When he gets rolling the way he gets rolling, and it was almost perfect because, you know, Keenan has his ho-hum nine for 112. <laughs> uh, Mike Williams gets rolling and gets play. back in the end zone. Um, and then you get 30 in the backfield humming like that. When all three of those guys are clicking like that, this team is very hard to stop. Well, you know, we used to hear it regularly when we'd go down on the field. And I think I've probably said it here before, but you know, when I'm standing next to DJ and he's got so many friends around every single team, he knows it seems like five, 10 people, you know, and we get to walk around the field there pregame and he's chatting with them. And anytime we were talking to a front office person or a defensive coach, they Austin Eckler would be the first name out their mouth. You know, this guy is a problem. He is a problem to cover because of how effective he is, how good his hands are how great his routes are, the fact that he never, which is funny, right? The one thing about Austin is he never goes down on first contact. And what happens? The Steelers get that perfect play on the fourth and a half yard and yeah. stop him to get the game, you know, leading field goal there. But um, it, it's, it doesn't need to be said, right? He's the only back in the NFL with five rushing TDs and five, you know, uh, receiving TDs. He and Jonathan Taylor are in a category unto themselves when it comes to scrimmage yards. So, the numbers tell you he's been effective. Your eyeballs tell you he's been effective. I'm going to go back to the first thing you said, though, and that's that Justin Herbert's the second runner. And not to be negative, you know, celebrating a game that really ought to be celebrated, but I think we saw it again, and, and Austin Eckler has talked about it. Anytime he was not on the field, there was an issue. You know, there was an issue with the running game. You know, Justin had a huge drop 
in that game um, on a third, I think it was on a third down, if I remember right. So I think that search still continues. And I, I think that's why you saw in the fourth quarter, you know, they like to get Austin his breathers and keep him fresh. And it was like, no, you're, you're on the field. We got to roll with you. We cannot afford to have you on the sideline moving forward. So, I mean, you, then again, you can see the type of damage he can, he can just wreak havoc on an opponent, no doubt, but uh, you certainly want to see him stay fresh. So in those game clinching moments, like he had, look, that pass to Mike Williams, it doesn't happen if it's not for Austin hopping from the right hip of Herbert That's to right. cut down, you know, the, the blitz and slot that was probably going to get to Herbert, maybe a beat before he was able to get his full force behind that throw on the busted coverage. So, or on the missed assignment, I should say. So again, it's not, not just the four TDs, but it's also the most important play of the game-winning drive, and that is picking up that block so Herbert can make that throw to Mike Williams. God does it all. That's it. That's it. And you're right. You know, as we – there's six and four. There's seven games to go. At some point, the running game is going to need to be relied upon in the second half to ice games and to close out games and maybe actually to set the tone for a game – and we know what we got here at number 30, but again, Justin Jackson, Kelly, Roundtree, we're going to have to see something from those guys back half of the year. Uh, pushing this thing forward to Denver. We're taping this on a Friday. We, we saw the Raiders beat the Cowboys. This division is as tight as ever, as you talk, if you've talked about money. I, this, this is an interesting game. Everyone's going to point to, to Staley and, and Fangio, but – I really kind of look at this as, all right, the Chargers get a couple guys back on the defensive line. You, you got to make sure Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, who DJ did a great film breakdown on. I mean, that dude is really he's hard great. to tackle. And, and if you try to tackle him with an arm, he's going to run right through you. So like that, that running game, I think, is the biggest thing that they're going to have to stop Sunday. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm anxious to see how they play it. You know, because I, I thought I, I thought Bahoko and Gaziano were fantastic they were against great. Pittsburgh. I mean, they were great. And and look, they provide something a little bit different than Tillery. Tillery is a pass rusher. He that's just kind of the way that he's he's wired and he plays uh, when it comes to run fills and and you know, kind of providing that first line of defense at, at the gaps. He has not been great this year. So. With two guys like that that are extremely strong and powerful, I am anxious to see kind of what who's active, what this defensive line is going to look like. Not to mention, you know, Joey had his best game of the year, you know, and they were playing Joey on the inside for a lot of that game, especially in the fourth quarter when he really started to make noise and they had Fackrell and Chenna on the outside. So, you know, I'm I'm interested to see how they how they rotate, you know, those those players. They've the earned interior. those reps money, right? Gaziano and Fayoko, they've earned some reps. Well, and I think there's also another component to it that if you send them back to the practice squad, they're fair game. You know, someone can come grab them. So I think that's what you got. You know, just like it happened with Faison when, when the Raiders needed a corner and Gus Bradley came and got him off that practice squad. You know, and they could probably use Faison right now, a little bit of depth of that corner position, considering what, you know, the, the Chargers have gone through with Michael Davis and, and now Asante Samuel with his, his second issue, uh, you know, with that head injury. So I think we're, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that they're, I would imagine, really trying to sort through and, and trying to figure out because of what you just, you know, pointed out. You know, they want this, this offense to run through Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. You know, that is their preference. Now, there's a flip side to that. And there's a reason why all these contracts were just handed out 
yep. Patrick and Cortland Sutton because they are fantastic. And then you add Jerry Judy, who's just gotten better every week and a little bit more healthy every week. And that, that receiving core is in the conversation is the best in the league. So you're talking with Noah Fant and Albert O at, at, at tight end, man. It's a nasty, nasty group to have to contend with, especially when you're not at full strength in your secondary or on your defensive front to try to slow that run game. The one thing I will point out that I think, you know, was a, was very evident that, that maybe you take for granted, and I'll, I'll give DJ credit on this too because he's the first one that pointed out to me, and certainly it, it ended up, you know, leading to my eyes going there. And that's just how good Nasir Adderley's been and how important he's been. And you saw the difference on the back end of that defense uh, when he was out versus when he came back last week. And that's going to be a big help. In, in trying to slow that, you know, try to maybe keep them a little bit more one-dimensional if he can help slow that that passing game down. Because we know Teddy Bridgewater doesn't really take a lot of chances. He sort of did when they were on that that three and zero winning streak to start the season. Um, but man, if you can if you can try to make them one-dimensional, if you want to commit those resources like they did with Derwin against Pittsburgh up on the line of scrimmage a lot, um, you know, you feel a little bit better with Nas back there if that's the way you want to play it and keeping Derwin closer to the ball. We heard rave reviews about Nas in the offseason, and, and you hear about rave reviews with, with almost every player. It seems like, oh, he's having a great offseason. He's yeah. having a great offseason. But, I mean, the, the way that Ronaldo Hill and, and Coach Staley talked about how he was engaged in, in learning this new system and, and kind of being uh, kind of one of the leaders in, in, the, um, in the defensive room. Yeah. And you're, you're seeing it translate out into the field. We had not seen – Derwin and Nas together on the field ever until this year. And you're starting to see what that looks like, which is really encouraging. Uh, going back to the Broncos and, you know, Jerry Judy, they're three and one when Jerry Judy's in the lineup and you mentioned that he's getting healthier. Just point blank. What do you make of this Broncos team? They they're up 30, nothing in Dallas a few weeks ago. They lose to the, to the Eagles last week. They lost to the Raiders earlier this year. I, I can't put my finger on what they are and, and what Broncos team's going to show up yeah. on Sunday morning. I think they're the NFL in 2021. You know, yeah. you just, you, you can't, it's, it's one week you feel great about them. The next week you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's who the Broncos are. You know, that's uh, and, and you don't know the defense is that good. You know, that it's that talented now, you know, I'm anxious to see what's going on with Kareem Jackson. I know he's been out. You mentioned we're doing this on Friday. I don't know if he'll be listed as out, but he has a practice. So I think that's a big loss just because he's such a stout run defender um, and really just a he's he's really good. You know, he is just a really good player and always seems to do damage against the Chargers. There's those certain players that end up playing a certain opponent really well. And and he seems to be one of them. Um, their secondary is it's sensational. Um, at the same time, it's a very similar defense um, to what we've seen in years past. And I just kind of think back to last year and man, Herbert had cut them to ribbons. So I'm, I'm anxious to kind of see if he's able to do that, if he's able to do that again, um, or if the addition of Patrick Sertan is going to, you know, adjust a little bit because and Kendall Fuller looked, they've gotten a little bit stronger in that secondary. But I, I think without Jackson, there's some opportunities there offensively, I think is where the big question mark is. Um, and I think it's why, you know, and look, this is, this is not something that the Charger fan, well, I guess maybe they do, you know, we're focused on this year thinking that this team is good enough to make a Super Bowl run. But to me, signing Cortland Sutton, signing Tim Patrick, you know, the way that they built that defense, it's just a help wanted sign for the off season for, for Aaron Rodgers, if, if he's out of green Bay or for Russell Wilson, if he can, continues to have issues with the Seattle front office and, and the way that that team is going. 
that's the way this sets up. Um, just because Teddy, he's had his highs and he's had some really low lows. And I think that's just kind of what you get from a quarterback like that. That's probably a better backup, a high-end backup that you're willing to pay a lot of money to protect yourself because you have a Super Bowl caliber roster. And if the quarterback goes down, you don't want to com be completely left out like the Saints had, you know, when he did have to step in for those few games. So, you know, I think if, if, if you can if you can limit the damage in one facet of their offense, that's where I think you can be effective. But look, if, if they're able to get a run game going, Teddy Bridgewater is plenty capable of, of cutting you up, you know, with all those weapons that he has. So I think it's a much more dangerous Broncos team from that aspect. I don't think we were really worried about Drew Locke last year. And, and that's obviously been exposed, you know, with kind of where that whole thing stands now moving forward. Could you imagine the AFC West with a guy like Rogers or Wilson with Mahomes and her? I mean, the, the, the division would be a prime time every week, yeah, <laughs> every exactly. single week. I mean, to me, that's just what it looks like when you get all those contracts out there. You're just kind of saying, hey, look, this is your team. You're moving forward. We got these guys locked up. You've got all these weapons. What What's a better place for you to go than here? Maybe, you know, they need a little O-line help. That's for sure. But who doesn't? So, you know, to me, it's. It's set up for that. Um, and at the same time, you know, they're still five and five. They still jumped out to a 30 nothing lead over the Cowboys and kind of started this streak of misery for them, you know, a few weeks back. Money, uh, before we get to Ryan O'Halloran to dig more into this matchup, a lot has been made about Fangio versus Staley and deservedly so. Because these guys know each other so well, like what's – What's going to be that like one percent that that tilts the scales? You know, I mean, obviously, personnel it plays a plays a huge role in, in what both of these guys do. But I mean, when you know your opponent so well, like the Chargers know the Broncos so well anyway, yeah. and then you add in the fact that that Staley and Fangio, you know, shared a defensive room for a number of years. I mean, what's the the deciding factor in all that? Yeah, you know, look, I hate to do it, and I, I don't know. You know, obviously, Brandon is, you know, Coach Staley's a bright guy. There's no doubt about that, and he's had success at every one of his stops. But every one of his defensive stops, you know, prior to the Rams last year when he finally got a chance to run it himself, you know, he's a, he's a Fangio guy. You know, yeah. it's the Bears under Fangio, the Broncos under Fangio. Then he gets a chance to do it on his own, lights it up with the Rams, ends up landing the head coaching job. But you know, I kind of think of the, the parallel to me is, is Shanahan McVay, right? McVay is able to run roughshod over the league with his offense. And anytime he has to go up against, you know, the, uh, the master, his mentor, the guy that taught him, you know, so much of what he knows, Shanahan just gets the best of him and is able to, to shut that offense down because he knows exactly how it goes. So, you know, the, the, that the flip side of that would be that, that Fangio knows how to beat his own defense, that, that he knows exactly what to call from whatever he sees out there formation wise, um, because he's been doing it for 30 years, as opposed to, you know, five or six. And that's the same thing with Shanahan and McVay. It's like Kyle's been doing it for 25 years. McVay has been doing it for five. So, or six. So I think that's the, you know, if I were to give an edge, I would have to give it to, to coach Fangio because it's just, Look, it's his defense. It's it's kind of the principles, the too high, the quarters that 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 Brandon believes in as sort of the foundation of what he wants to do out there. The gap and a half up front, those are all Fangio staples. 
a chance for the Chargers to go three and zero in the division for the first time since 1996. I had to do a double take looking that up. There you go. The, the Seattle Seahawks were in the division, I think, at that point. Bobby Ross was your your head coach, right? Uh, Stan Humphreys was the quarterback. I mean, that was a long. I mean, just think about that. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer, Philip Rivers, uh, Ladainian Tomlinson. None of those yeah. guys started three and zero in the AFC West. Chargers have a chance to do it. No doubt. I think it speaks to just you know historically how competitive, you know, this division has been. Yeah, you've got your peaks and valleys with individual teams like the Chargers being down the previous two years, but now they've bounced back. You know, no team save the Raiders, you know, who were miserable for about a decade straight, but you know, now they're back up where they're a formidable opponent and typically finish at least around 500. I think it just speaks to the division and and how challenging it's always been, you know, no matter, you know, if it was Jake Plummer with the Broncos or Peyton Manning with the Broncos following John Elway, you know, you kind of had that little dip there with Trevor Simeon and, and Tim Tebow, maybe for the half season there. Uh, the Chiefs obviously have been competitive seemingly for the last 30 years, it feels like, uh, you know, save the one hiccup of a season. And then, you know, you got the Chargers, like you said, you know, the Marty Schottenheimer, the team that was winning however many divisions they won in a row four, I think straight and, you know, you couldn't start three and zero. It's just, I think it speaks to the history of this division. And also I think just division play in general and how hard it is to win games inside your division when you know each other so well. Um, and look, there's a reason why the, the records are what they are. You know, the Chiefs are atop by a half game. The Chargers will be in first place if they win this game because of the head-to-head -head win already. Uh, and, and here you are, your last place team is five and five. It's just, it's crazy how stacked it is this year. We're going to break it down right now. Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post is going to preview this Sunday against the Broncos. But first, a quick note to let you know that Pepsi, they're handing out the ultimate Chargers fan experience only at 7-Eleven. Rush in, scan the code to enter for a chance to win some awesome prizes. You want to bolt up with Pepsi. No purchase necessary. Must be 18 years or older. Sponsor is PepsiCo. For official rules, visit boltuplacom slash 7-Eleven. Also want to introduce you to Picks for Popeyes. Every Chargers game this season, when the Bolts defense gets an interception, show your game recap email to your local Popeyes. Get a free chicken sandwich when you purchase a chicken sandwich at regular menu price. All right, to get this week's opposing view, friend of the show, Ryan O'Haller in Denver Post, and Ryan, I think the obvious storyline, we might as well just start here, teacher versus pupil with Vic Fangio and Brandon Staley. Yeah, and uh, it's a great storyline. It's You know, you don't have to make this one up. It's, uh, you know, Vic Fangio gave Brandon Staley his first NFL shot in Chicago just a couple years ago. Hired him from John Carroll, Division Three, And uh, and you know, one thing Brandon has talked about this week and also last year is, you know, the interview process with Vic where Vic just, just sat there says he had nothing to say. He thought it was going awful. And then a couple of assistant coaches said, hey, you're doing great. If he doesn't say anything, that means you're on the right track. And, you know, the meteoric rise of Brandon Staley to his current spot really started in Chicago with Vic Fangio. You know, uh, Ryan, as, as you look at the Vic Fangio defense, kind of give us an idea of, of what's different from last year. If anything, we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier, the, the fact that Chargers seem to have control in, in both of those games before their defense let up a little bit. But that maybe Herbert felt a little comfortable out there. How much different is this edition of the defense versus what we saw in those two games last year? Well, a lot of different personnel. 
Uh, Von Miller was injured last year. Now he's traded. But one thing that the Broncos are doing through 10 games this year is they're, they're blitzing more. I mean, six, seven percent more uh, for the season total, which says, hey, does he trust his corners, Pat Sertan and Ronald Darby, who are new to the roster this year? But also it probably means his four man rush with the three defensive line and isn't created enough pressure. So I think that's the biggest uh, sign. Uh, biggest difference, excuse me, is he is sending more blitzers. But, you know, one thing one thing that looks to be different between the Brandon Staley Chargers defense and the Big Fangio Broncos defense is that two shell uh, the Chargers are playing. The, the Broncos right now still like dropping Kareem Jackson into that box. He may not play Sunday. So, you know, it's you can have like the foundation in that scheme, but each coach is going to put their own stamp on it based on their personnel. Ryan, simply put, who are the Denver Broncos right now? Five and five. I mean, can, can you put your finger on it? Each week is different. You're up 30 nothing in Dallas. You lose to the to the Eagles. Hot start. Um, what's the what's the deal? <laughs> uh, they're even Steven, literally. because uh, what they are, they're a streaky team. They won three, they lost four, they won two, now they've lost one. They just they just are not explosive enough offensively. Defensively. Let's start on offense is they're averaging 20 points a game. That's not going to be good enough to win consistently in this division with these quarterbacks and these skill position players. Teddy Bridgewater is showing a little bit of a hesitancy to push the ball down the field. He's got to get over that. And with the running game, Melvin Gordon is starting all these games. He has more carries, Javante Williams, but the rookie Javante Williams has more explosive carries, more eye-popping runs. I would go to Williams starting this week, say, hey, this is a stretch run. Get ready, kid. But it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. On defense, the big thing that stood out is they sunk a ton of resources into this secondary, and they're giving up big plays. Is it communication? Is it bad fundamentals, et cetera? It's been something different. So if, if I'm the Chargers, is I, I, just, I test these corners. Pat Sertan is a rookie having a good year. Ronald Darby, a big free agent signing, no interceptions. Kyle Fuller may have to play the nickel this week. He's a traditionally an outside corner. So it's uh, their stats befit their record is they get excited, then they have a letdown. They get excited, then they get blown out. So the Philadelphia game was was an eyesore. Uh, the Eagles did whatever they wanted to do with the run game and then had that uh, defensive touchdown. Uh, I'm going to go back to what you said at the start there, Ryan, because it's something that, that Charger fans lived with for a couple years, and that is Austin Eckler is clearly the better back. Melvin Gordon is starting and getting more touches. Why is that the case? Like, what have you been able to figure out? What is it? To, is it just a personality? Is it leadership? Because I see the same thing you see. Javante looks to be the much better back than Melvin Gordon, but he's still getting out. He's still out touching him. It's strange. Yeah. There's, there's a common thread here. Melvin right? Gordon. <laughs> so, um, you know, my cynical view is they are saving Javante to take over that feature role next year. Um, they don't want to totally run him into the ground as a rookie because at North Carolina, he was mostly a split carries guy with Michael Carter, who's now with the Jets. Yeah. So I, I think that's part of it is they don't want to overload a rookie who's playing a 17-game season. That worked the first half of the season. Now it's time to start winning some games. The idea was keep both guys fresh going into December. Here's my, my main reason for moving toward Williams and away from Gordon outside of those big plays, Matt. Melvin has lost two fumbles in the last two home games, yep. almost cost the Washington game and helped the Eagles put away that game, made it a 30 to a 27, 13 game like that. So 
you know, that, that's one of the reasons is, you know, Melvin's been a little careless with the football in that respect. But I just think right now, this is a Bronco team that on their home field have not done well. They're two and three. They've been favored in every game. Put Javante Williams out there to start the game. Give, give that crowd a spark. Try and give that offense a spark because on opening drives this year, this offense has been totally pathetic. Right. We talked about the wide receivers too, and, and Muddy referenced the big deals that Patrick and, and Sutton got. And, you know, Jerry Judy, when he's in the lineup, they're three and one this year. How does the offense change when Jerry Judy's in the lineup? Yeah, he's their best receiver right now. He has 21 catches in his three games since coming back from that high ankle. He was uncoverable, if that's a word, against the Giants before he got hurt. He just, I think they're try, they're learning how to use him. And starting in that Dallas game, they used them on jet motion. They used them on a couple of tunnel screens. Just get it to him. See what he can do with the ball in his hands. That is not really Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton's game because they are such big guys. Get him down the field. Tim is a bulldog. Cortland can win that 50-50 contested catch. So the thing the Broncos had to figure out this week is since Judy came back, Sutton's activity has gone way down, like five catches in three games. So how can they get both those guys involved at the same time? If they do, they may have a shot at convert some of those third downs. They may have a better shot of being more than 50% in the red zone. But you know, where those contracts jump out is – that's for probably, I mean, Judy, when healthy, is their number one, I think. So you're really splurging on secondary and second and third receivers who are very good, but I think that's where the league is going. Um, we were talking, again, stuff that we were kind of setting up for, for you to join us, Ryan. And, and I'm curious uh, about how you're covering it, because I would assume you know nationally they see contracts like that. And I said it's just to help wanted sign. It's like, hey. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, you come here. Yeah. We got these guys locked up. Russell Wilson, go ahead, force that trade. Are you covering that? Are you guys kind of, or is that just because they're five and five and still in this playoff mix? It's more about this team. Like, what's big picture versus right now? No, it's half and half, and, and I'll say a third, a third, a third, because I think this team is going to have a new owner after the season. Right. So we can wait for that. But hey, that's that. That is. That was my number one thought when those deals got done last week is they are lining up the decks to pursue a quarterback because they don't have to draft a receiver now. They got their top four guys coming back, and they have a first, two seconds, and two thirds. A team like Seattle needs those needs those picks yeah. because they haven't drafted well and they've traded picks. So I think the, 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 the debate we had in the paper this week, myself and columnist Mark Kisla, was who do you prefer, Wilson or Rodgers? To me, I would lean toward Wilson because he's younger probably get more of a shelf life. And I don't care what it costs, quite frankly, is right. if this team did have consistent quarterback play, I think they would be a contender. I, I pose this to money too. Could you imagine you'd be covering a lot of night games in the AFC West <laughs> if, uh, if Russell Wilson was under center for the Broncos. What do you make of this division right now? Ryan, I mean, it, yeah. we knew it was going to be tight, but I mean, this thing is, I mean, games like Sunday are really going to determine, you know, who's going to the postseason. Yeah, and, and I think this is this is a critical game for the Broncos. They're 0-1 in the division at home. They got lost to Las Vegas. They go to the Chiefs next week on a Sunday night. So I think uh, if, if the Broncos can win Sunday, you're sort of playing with, you know, house money, so to speak, in terms of going to Kansas City. Then you had Detroit and Cincinnati at home. So Ooh. then you're in it. Um, you know, I have sort of a forecast going in Sunday's paper. I picked the Chargers to win the division. I have them going 12 and five. Um, Kansas City, they are rolling right now, but it just feels like they're turning it over too much. They tend to complicate things. And 
what really sort of bucked up the division was the Raiders winning yesterday. Who I thought they yeah. were done. Uh, so I still had the Raiders finish in fourth, but I think if the Chargers can win Sunday, that goes, you know, two and in division road games. That's going to count so much coming down the stretch and if they can take care of business at home. So uh, it's, if I had to like rank them right now, I would go Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders. I'll, uh, I'll just finish with this, Ryan, and it's not even really a question. Just for whatever reason, pop back into my head. You said, you know, they got to get Cortland Sutton going. I would just say, just remind him the Chargers are coming to town. <laughs> the guy has absolutely crushed the Chargers in his career. Yeah, and, and, and I, you know, I would prioritize. I, I would pr- prioritize him on that first drive. Say, hey, we know you know what Jerry can do. You know what Tim Patrick can do. Let's get number fourteen going a little bit. Let's try and create a matchup. Yeah. Uh, that that benefits him to see if he can get some mojo going. Ryan, last thing for me too, uh, Ronaldo Hill. You know that's kind of the the unsung homecoming we got. Yeah. You know, what was it like covering Ronaldo? And you know he was he was with Vic. He was with uh, Coach Staley in, in those defensive rooms. Yeah, and I think. I probably interviewed him three or four times, and it was really good. it was really cool to get to know him because he. I mean, this was a big opportunity for him with the Broncos because Ed Donatel, the coordinator, is widely respected as a secondary coach, and sort of sort of to learn under him got him ready for this opportunity with the Chargers. And you know, he had you know he had to develop some younger guys, uh, and he had some veterans like AJ Boye. He had Chris Harris two years ago now with uh, with the Chargers. So it's uh, that sort of the under the radar homecoming, but it is it is another branch of that Fangio coaching tree. Okay, Ryan, uh, as we get you out of here, what do you think is going to decide it? Well, uh, yeah, the, the easy answer will be turnovers, but you know, I'll, I'll dig a little deeper is the Broncos are not built to come from behind. They're just, they're just not. They don't, they don't do enough on offense. So if, if they can survive the first quarter, can survive the first quarter and a half, you know, then it gives them a puncher's chance, keeps that crowd in the game. Because right now this is a fan base that's equal parts, not showing up in – apathetic and they have reason to so mm. uh, I just think the Chargers right now with Eckler and Herbert and Allen Williams just have a little bit too much firepower for the Broncos to win uh, to win this kind of shootout and then I think about that comeback last year which I think was the worst loss <laughs> for the Chargers just that oh one gosh. was absolutely brutal among yeah. among a lot of bad losses that one yes. was probably number one right <laughs> Do we have a weather report for me and money? Oh, do we need to bring a uh, a heavy coat? Will there be? I think you guys are gonna be in good shape. Let me check real quick. Uh, high of sixty four. Take it. We always, you know what? We always bring good weather with us to Denver. It's the craziest thing. I don't know why, but I think we've had one in the last five years that's just been somewhat cold. It's the craziest thing. Yeah, and I, I think even, that one was like week 17, Muddy, where it's yeah. supposed to be cold. It's like January, but every time exactly. we go, it's been awesome. Yeah, so it might get a little nippy by halftime when it gets dark, but uh, you can uh, you cannot complain about a high of 64 uh, this Heck late no. November. All over it. Love it. Love it. Ryan, you're the best, man. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday, bud. All right, thanks, fellas. Take care now. All right, thanks, Ryan. All right, buddy. Always appreciate Ryan. And, you know, it just kind of reaffirms the fact that this is a this is a huge game for the Chargers. If you go to 3-0 and in the division, you're 7-4 and with Cincinnati and the Giants on deck, man. You're looking good going into that Thursday night game against the Chiefs. Yeah, you know, just kind of going back to, to when you asked him what's going to decide the game. And he said, you know, I don't want to say turnovers, but 
you know, you look at that offensive line, I think as I wrap it and I, I look at what maybe the, the pivotal matchups are, it's, it's making sure you get that defensive front combination right. Uh, again, just kind of based on guys that weren't there and players that were put in and, and you saw how effective it was, especially in the most critical moments. Look, I know what the score said, and I know that the, that, that the Steelers scored over 30 points, but I mean, they had 17 points off drives that went three yards, 11 yards exactly. and seven yards. Yep. So it wasn't on the defense. They were good, especially up front. And I think when you look at it, as I look at the, the numbers for the Broncos here, just off my screen, 28th on third down, 29th in sacks, 29th in red zone. You got to take advantage of those numbers. Get them off the field on third down. Get after Teddy Bridgewater so he's, his clock is even quicker than it already is, which is ridiculously fast, not to let those big plays develop downfield. And then do what they've done for the most part all season. You think about that fourth down stand, that uh, goal line stand on fourth down against the Steelers. And that's bend, don't break. If you're going to bend, bend, but make sure you don't break. Trade touchdowns for field goals. Like Ryan said, get up two touchdowns and, and see if you can just turn the fans against them, put your foot on the gas and, and get the heck out of there three and zero in the division. And money, one thing I'd add that, you know, as you do fact finding, getting ready for a, for a game, this Javante Williams, man, I did the film room with DJ and he's just showing just how powerful this guy is. And the fact that he's only getting 10 carries a game, the Chargers will be lucky if he doesn't get more than 10 carries a game. And if he does get rolling, that could be a problem. So I think stopping him and, in you know, obviously Melvin Gordon, too, but specifically Williams and the way he runs, that's going to be very important. Now, you're just saying that to be nice to Melvin because we like him. Um, yeah. Like, Ryan's on it. He, Javante is, looks like, think about Derrick Henry. Like, Javante's in that conversation. He is a load to bring down. If he gets some steam, you know, and, and he's coming through that line and, and he missed first contact and he's five yards downfield, he's going another five. He's just that big, that strong, that good at shedding tacklers for those folks that that maybe watch Kyle Brand on Good Morning Football. There's a reason why the guys won the angry run of the week. I think a couple times already should just hold on to that that award for the entire season. He's that good. Um, so you're you're right. That's look. That's that's going to be it. You know how do they decide to call that game? And man, I sure as heck hope we don't see a lot of him. Man, I tell you if, guys, if you haven't seen it, go to go to our film room on our YouTube channel. DJ broke it down. The third run in Dallas where he just keeps his legs going and, and breaks out like three times. I mean, it's, it's wild. Just go yeah. watch it. And, and that's, I think that was the one play that said, Oh, uh-oh. if you don't wrap him, trouble. it's trouble. It's yeah. trouble, but no uh, a, a big opportunity though, money for the Chargers on Sunday, get to three and zero in the division. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing you uh, yep. be sure to download uh, and subscribe to the Chargers podcast network, wherever you listen to podcasts running for history, episode four out today as well. For Matt Money-Smith, I'm Chris Harey. This has been Chargers Weekly, Week 12.